the historical Jesus and the historical Joseph Smith next on Polygamy. What love is this? guest this time is a retired pastor and professor of biblical studies from Bellevue, Illinois. He has a PhD in biblical exegesis from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. He's in Salt Lake City for the Faith After Mormonism conference and graciously agreed to an interview. So I would like to introduce and welcome our special guest, Tom Hobson. Thank you, Tom, for coming. It's wonderful to be here. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And you had a long drive, but it all turned out well. Praise Thank, God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> mm. I asked you for an interview so that we could discuss a book that mm -hmm. you've recently written and is at the publishers right now. Okay. Uh, and the book is entitled The Historical Jesus and the Historical Joseph Smith. Mm -hmm. Briefly tell us about your introduction, mm -hmm. which in, explains your position and, mm -hmm. and why you wrote the book, and where our viewers can buy your book and... Um, you have two websites also mm -hmm. that you anybody interested in your work can right. go to. Um, and then, of course, when the book is going to be available. Okay. Well, um, the book came about as I uh, start uh, in the process of teaching a class locally on the historical Jesus uh, in St. Louis. I uh, said to myself, when's somebody going to do something like this on Joseph Smith using the same examination of the evidence and the like? Um, I started blogging on the subject last fall when we were in Utah, helping start a Christian coffee house uh, down in uh, Mount Pleasant. Mm. And um, the one of my colleagues back in St. Louis said, well, why don't you put this into a book? And I thought, man, getting published is such a difficult <laughs> thing. Uh, but I, uh, the book came just pouring out of me when I mm. decided to do so. And um, now, um, what other questions do you know? Let's see. <laughs> the, why you wrote the book and okay. where our viewers can buy it when it's okay. uh, and okay. when it's released. Yeah, yeah. yeah I uh, my intent was to try to put together everything that I would want to share with either uh, someone who is LDS that I was trying to uh, witness to, or uh, that I would share with someone who's not LDS who's thinking of becoming uh, a Latter Day mm -hmm, Saint. Mm -hmm. So. Um, the the book is uh, is due to uh, the official uh, release date for pre-publication uh, orders and the like is, is November twenty seventh and it officially goes on sale December twenty fourth. So our viewers can pre-order the book in, after at the, the twenty seventh, mm -hmm. and I would direct them to the website historicaljesus.org, which will tell them more the uh, even more about the book than what we can mm -hmm. uh, go into detail today, and also. So they can keep track of when uh, when is it uh, when is it uh, when can they when get it? Be out. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Well, the, in your book, and I found mm -hmm. it fascinating. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely um, astounding how you put this together. It's very good. There are fourteen chapters in the mm -hmm. book, and and we can get a good overview by just briefly discussing each chapter. And so we'll do half of the chapters in part one and the other half in part two. And so we'll begin with chapter one, which is entitled, Why We Must Know the Facts About 
Jesus and Joseph. Mm -hmm. And I want to quote um, from page two, where you say, contrary to what a large portion of today's world thinks, I am not free to make Jesus into whomever I want him to be. The same is true for Joseph Smith. Was Joseph truthful and honest? Did he keep the word of wisdom? Did he keep the law of chastity? What I think doesn't matter. The facts are what they are, and my responsibility is to find and face these facts. Let's not kid ourselves. I want to know the real Jesus and the real Joseph. If Jesus or Joseph is from God, the facts will reveal that, and wishful thinking can't change that. Facts are all we have to prevent our biases and imaginations from sweet-talking us into self-delusion. Yeah. I love that. I, I want to use that in the future. If I, if I can, I'll always quote you, but that is so good. But what are some of the ways that people have made Jesus and Joseph into what they want rather than what, what history has concluded they are? Well, uh, with, uh, with Joseph, um, yeah, obviously, if you believe in him, you want to uh, emphasize all the things that make him look like a hero and want to tend to downplay uh, uh, things that might be uh, embarrassing or, or not fit into the sainthood picture. But particularly, I want to uh, take a look at Jesus. Uh, People want to make Jesus into whoever they want him to be. Their people want a permissive Jesus, and so they'll overlook how Jesus often beefs up the law, makes it more difficult. A lot of people want to say Jesus was all love and nothing about mm -hmm. wrath, so mm -hmm. they leave out everything that he has to say about hell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, personally, I, uh, I don't like the parts where Jesus commands us to unlimited forgiveness. I don't, uh, I don't want Jesus telling me don't call people idiots. <laughs> I, I, I want to be able to do that, but it's not the real Jesus. Right. And I have to be honest with that. If, uh, if, if this Jesus doesn't shove me into my discomfort zone at times, mm. it's not the real mm, Jesus. Very good. And we get that a lot. You know, mm. Jesus wouldn't do what you're doing and so on and so forth. But yeah. you asked the question in this chapter, what good is evidence? Mm -hmm. Why the question and what's the answer? Well, um, what good is evidence? Uh, I found that evidence, you know, I'm an evidentialist. Uh, I believe evidence is important. I mean, that's why I've tried to make an argument in the book based on evidence. But uh, I also am painfully aware that it's easy, too easy to explain evidence away. Like you say, Jesus rose from the dead. And some would say, so what? Uh, weird things happen all the time, like, you know, five-legged frogs. That doesn't prove anything. And so you see, oh, well, so what good is the evidence? Without evidence, um, whose claims do we believe uh, as far as uh, we believe the Bible is the Word of God? LDS will say that the uh, Book of Mormon is the Word of God. The Muslims will come along and say the Quran yeah. is the Word of God. Yeah. Um, and testimony, the same thing. LDS claim to have a testimony. We have a testimony. Muslims and Hindus claim to have one. So basically, the Holy Ghost's job is to open our eyes to see the evidence for what it is. But the evidence is there to, to make sure that we have the right spirit, because the spirit of God is never going to authenticate a falsehood. That's true. That's true. And blind faith is not what Christianity is about, right. blind faith. 
Okay, chapter two is entitled Historical Bedrock in the Life of Jesus. You asked the question at the beginning of this chapter, quote, what can we know absolutely for certain about the life of Jesus, regardless of whether or not we believe in the accuracy of the Bible? Well, since we know that the Mormon faith does not believe in the total accuracy of, of the Bible is reliable, briefly explain what we can know for certain about Jesus and how we can know it. Well, uh, I, um, one thing I made note of in my mind, uh, the LDS actually accept everything that I have put in my book as um, qualifying as historical bedrock in the life of Jesus. They agree with us on these points. They just simply claim that there's more that was left out. That's what I see them saying that you can't trust the Bible in that it doesn't have everything. So they would claim. Okay. I deal with that claim okay. in chapter 10. Uh -huh. But then I would say um, you don't have to believe the Bible as the word of God to accept its testimony as historical testimony if, and I have those five criteria of authenticity that have become famous over the past hundred years or so. I mean, if you, if you find something that you find in multiple sources, like more than one gospel, so, uh, number two, if you have unflattering truth that you're being told that's potentially embarrassing, like, you know, Jesus calls uh, a traitor to be one of his 12 followers, who would make that up? Right. So right. when you have something that makes you ask the question, who would make that up, then you're probably standing on historical solid ground. Then um, the th three others are if what we're, and this is usually with Jesus, if something he says or does stands, makes him stand out, uh, from Judaism and from the early church, then boy, this is highly likely to be historical. Uh, number four, if what, what, what Jesus said or did fits with what we already know about Jesus, uh, add that in there. And then five, if what he said or what he did explains why he was arrested and crucified. Mm -hmm. So, and in chapter so we, two, I found, and chapters three and four, I found quite a bit. Well, and in chapters three, uh, you, you, we kind of got to summarize that mm -hmm. based on what you just said, that mm -hmm. it's entitled Uncertainties right. in the Life of Jesus. But all of this is, is bound up in who Jesus is, and right. we have the evidence right. for him as that person. So what, uh, what are the uncertainties in the life of Jesus? Well, you have um, uh, parts that are based on slim evidence, um, uh, like, say, uh, the, you know, the, where he tells his uh, uh, disciples at the Last Supper, uh, uh, after I'm gone, you better have a sword or two on hand because you might need one. It's kind of like, whoa, it's only in one source. And it seems to, boy, does this really fit with, with what we know of Jesus from elsewhere? But I believe the early church, uh, this would not have come down to us unless it was unavoidable, something that Jesus really did mm, say. Mm. Um, so, um, what I do point out in chapter three is that we have, where I demonstrate, we have good reasons to leave out the parts that didn't make it into the gospels, those so-called unwritten sayings, mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. sometimes even uh, um, books like the Gnostic gospels right, and the like. Right, right, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then you did mention, I just wanted to bring this up because it's mm -hmm. such a good quote, mm -hmm. uh, where you said, here from the cross mm -hmm. is love of enemies on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, who would say that? Who would say that? Uh, well, um, yeah, the, uh, the early church, apparently some copyist uh, couldn't believe it was really in there, so they just kind of um, didn't include it as they recopied. Uh, so there is something that, but it, 
what a gem we would have lost. Absolutely. So God yeah. made sure that there was enough manuscript evidence to make it in there, plus it fits so many of the other criteria right. that we know. Right, and, and, uh, uh, and our own standard of, of forgiving our enemies, too. Mm -hmm. Okay, number four, chapter four. Now, we're just doing a very quick review here. Mm -hmm. If our viewers, can, well, I can't mm -hmm. get the details. We don't have the time, yeah. obviously. Right. So they'll have to get your book, of course, to, to mm -hmm. get your details, which are great. Mm -hmm. uh, chapter four is entitled, Examining the Wildest Claims About Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so we'll start with the virgin birth. I want to quote from page 21. Why would the early church have invented a claim that was so easily misunderstood, if not downright embarrassing? Larry Hurtado observes to claim a miraculous conception with no identifiable father does not appear terribly wise if early Christians simply wanted to refute successfully the slur that Jesus was illegitimate. The church never would have made such a claim if they were not compelled to by the facts. If not compelled to by the fact, what facts confirm, confirm the virgin birth? Well, when I said that, I'm thinking, you know, only Joseph and Mary knew the facts firsthand. Uh, right. But the reporting of those facts, um, is the logical evidence for, uh, for this to be true is airtight and convincing. And again, it's, it's the, uh, the criterion of, of embarrassment that Larry Hurtado um, um, said so well. Why, uh, why would the early church have gone to this explanation when it would have been much easier to just say he was the natural child of Joseph and Mary? They knew better. Mm -hmm. And the purpose would be to prove, as time goes, that he was actually God in the flesh. Well, I, you know, that's one of those things. It, uh, the virgin birth is not necessary to our faith, other than that, um, the Bible tells us so. Um, he didn't have to be virgin born, but it certainly goes along with what we know. It we, we, it's easy to believe that the second Adam would be a, a new well, creation. And it fulfills Old Testament prophecy as right, well right, for the that's virgin true. birth. Mm -hmm. Another wild claim Jesus made is that mm -hmm. he was God. Yes. Okay. Uh, what examples do we have from the gospel that prove his claims to be God are true? Well, as I, uh, I look at it, first we have to establish the fact that he really talked like God. We have to establish that, uh, that his words were not made up by the early church. And I think the, uh, the case can be made very convincingly that he really did make these claims. Then, so he talked like God, then we see that he also acted like God, both in the miracles that he did and then in the resurrection. And the resurrection, I, I, like, uh, I subtitled that section, the bedrock for all historical bedrock. Mm. Because, yeah, this, uh, if this is true, this validates everything yes, else. Absolutely. Mm. I want to quote from your book, page mm. 23, about this, where mm. you say, Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? Mm. The answers he gets back prove how wrong polls can be. Every answer they give is wrong. Out of all those surveyed in this poll, only one guy gets anywhere near the right answer. Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's Matthew 16, 16. So he is, Peter gets it more right than the rest. Mm -hmm. You are the Messiah, which is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, mm -hmm. the son of the living God. Mm -hmm. And there's only one who can be the son of the living God, and that would be God in the flesh, God in himself. Flesh. Mm -hmm. Indeed. But uh, we want to build this up, particularly for the LDS audience that I hope to reach, because 
if you if you take away an LDS person's faith in Joseph Smith, you're in danger of taking away everything else, including belief in Jesus happens, and in God. Happens too much. Happens I've seen enough. Much. Yes. And I, that's why this book is almost half building up Jesus before we go on to look at Joseph. Yeah. And you and that's what um, you've done up to this point. Mm -hmm. And and the next chapter five mm -hmm. begins with Joseph. And, and mm -hmm. what, so so what you've done is establish that bedrock. Mm -hmm. We can trust mm -hmm. what we have learned about Jesus through these gospels. Right. And I think LDS people would agree with just practically everything that I've said about Jesus. And and. Mm -hmm. And he's trustworthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. From what we've seen, he's trustworthy, mm -hmm. has integrity, does what he says, keeps his promises, and so on. Right. So now we'll go to Joseph Smith, chapter mm -hmm. 5, you entitled, Who Can Tell Us the Truth About Joseph? So you took an entire chapter mm -hmm. to answer this question. So briefly tell us, who can tell us the truth about Joseph Smith? Well, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I, th I was thinking about, uh, I... I don't narrow it down to one place to go, but I, as I wrote, I, 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 I want to depend not on Joseph's enemies, but on, on the people that LDS folks themselves would trust the most. So I try to go as straight to the source as I can, try to go to his own words and the words of those closest to him, you know, go to the, the, the writings that come from him, his history of the church, his diaries and the like. I use, uh, I use it in my book, the example, both Joseph and Heber Kimball admit that Joseph lost almost all of his audience, almost all of his followers in Ohio. Um, so if they both say that, this must be true. But then later on, Joseph boasts that his followers never That's ran right. away from him. <laughs> now, true. okay, he just said, uh, I go with what he said earlier, that that boast was not true. But did he really make that boast? You have to then go back and uh, why uh, criterion of embarrassment? Why would the our sources have told us this unless it's undeniable he really said this? Plus, it also goes. It actually fits the criterion of rejection. We can see um, someone who makes this kind of statement. It makes sense if they are about. They they know that they're about to be. Um, lynched in his case, hmm. um, that it would make sense that he would make such boasts. Do you think um, he knew he was going to be I think he, at that point? He sensed it was highly likely, and he was kind of fighting back, even even uh, by, by making the, these claims. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I, I didn't think that he would... Well, I did. Well, okay. Uh, that's another discussion. Mm. Okay, number six. Mm. Very interesting chapter. Mm -hmm. What was Joseph's approach to alcohol, tobacco, and hot drinks? Now, and this is on page 35, where Joseph Smith's approach mm -hmm. uh, to alcohol and tobacco and hot drinks were different mm -hmm. uh, than the strict compliance that's required by today's Mormonism. Mm -hmm. What was his approach? Mm -hmm. Did he strictly comply with the mm -hmm. word of wisdom? And did the early Mormon church comply or violate the word yeah. of wisdom? Well, Joseph, by his own admission, was not strict. Uh, uh, he actually took it the way I would uh, would read it, as looking at the uh, at the uh, chapter in the Doctrine and Covenants as as being friendly advice from God, basically. But <laughs> but but he uh, he seemed uh, several times by his own admission he was violating it. 
and his followers were slow to get serious about keeping it. And that was a surprising story to track down. It wasn't until 1906 that it became mandatory. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so um, when he now doesn't it state, and I should should have looked this up so I could quote it exactly. Mm -hmm. But doesn't the commandment state that, it, or the the mm -hmm. passage state, it's not by commandment, but it's by. Um, I, I like I you. I don't like, remember the exact words, but it. Uh, uh, but it was more admonition. It yeah. was more, uh, I, I, I keep saying friendly advice. I think, he's, you know, I think he advice, specifically said this is not by commandment or but, something like but that. But it was advice that promised a blessing if they would do it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and I guess occasionally he felt, I don't need the blessing today. <laughs> well, he was seen to smoke. He was seen to drink and, right. and uh, drink wine. He mm -hmm. talked about drinking wine at the mm -hmm. temple right. and all of that. So let's, what was Jesus's teachings? Did okay. they agree with the word of wisdom? Well, um, I firmly believe that Jesus drank wine, and I know there's some debate about that, but I, Jesus drank wine, so um, that would violate the word of wisdom, at least by today's standards. But you got to remember, through his apostles, Jesus teaches two things um, that are appropriate here. And I got to, um, as an aside, the word apostle means authorized representative, someone with the power of attorney to speak in your name. Okay. Through, Jesus, uh, through his apostle Paul, Jesus teaches, do not be drunk with wine, and I will not be enslaved by anything. Okay. And both of those are um, go along with the word of wisdom, Certainly. I would say, but I'll go straight to Jesus. But, but still, mm. Mark chapter 7, he declared mm. all foods clean That's by, true. by mm -hmm. that too. So, and, right. and Romans, right. you mm -hmm. know, the, mm -hmm. the kingdom of God is not about what you eat and drink. Indeed. So Jesus' views on the word of wisdom were not the same as Joseph's. Not the, uh, not the same, although, uh, again, if you take uh, the, uh, like today's LDS church, um, frames it in terms of not being enslaved by uh, uh -huh. things that are addictive uh -huh. and the like. And, and, you know, Paul's, I would not, um, will not be a slave by anything. Goes everything right is permissible, mm -hmm. permissible, but not everything is beneficial. beneficial. And mm -hmm. that certainly would fit in with that as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, this one, of course, fits in with, with our polygamy focus. And mm -hmm. it's chapter 7, which is the final one for this uh, segment. And that is Jesus's, or Joseph's, excuse me, Joseph's approach to marriage. Mm. Now, you, your focus isn't as much that he was a polygamist, mm. but was his behavior suitable? Right. And I want to quote from mm. page 41. What we want to focus on is the historical evidence as mm. to whether Joseph conducted his approach to marriage consistently and in a manner worthy of a prophet of God who can be trusted to tell us the truth. From page 46, you write that at the beginning, mm. Joseph was most faithful to the sex and marriage ethic mm -hmm. of early Mormonism and the Bible. Please mm -hmm. explain that. And, and yeah. what was the change? How drastic the change was? Yeah. Well, I, I try to be upfront. God's standard is the two man and woman shall become one flesh. And that's the two, not the three or the four or more. Um, but I didn't find it necessary to con conduct a debate about polygamy in this chapter. Right, right. I want, uh, 
Basically, we look at the beginning. Joseph gives us a solid biblical ethic that's actually more explicit than the Bible, uh, um, forbidding polygamy. In the Book of Mormon. Right, in the Book right. of Mormon, and, he, and in the earliest Doctrine and Covenants uh, materials. But then he totally replaces that biblical ethic with the command to do plural marriage. But he says that you can only do this if you get the first wife's consent and if you don't take any other man, man's wife to be your own. And he says that both, all of this supposedly comes from God, but then Joseph proceeds to constantly break both of these commands that presumably came from God. What kind of God is this? Um, this is historical bedrock that uh, even, even temple uh, LDS are forced to ask themselves, how do we, uh, how do we defend this? Um, and to us, it makes us ask the question, what kind of God is this? Uh, so uh, how can we trust this man to lead us to the true God? And so he, the Book of Mormon does mm -hmm. prohibit polygamy in right. more than one place, right. in several places it does. Then he comes along in the Doctrine and Covenants and says that God justified these biblical characters for mm -hmm for polygamy, for right. living it, and so he's reinstating it mm -hmm. now. And then during this time, and again, we don't want to get into all of his antics during the, the, uh, his polygamy mm -hmm. behavior, but while he was a polygamist, mm -hmm. and other Mormon men as well, denied that they were living polygamy. Right. So where's the integrity? Exactly. Do we have to ask that, don't we? I mean, we, we're comparing Jesus. He, huh? he did not do anything like that. Uh, uh, nothing that he would have to deny. Right. Like, and that, that's kind of, we'll, we'll talk about this next time when we talk about martyrdom. Uh, did, was, did Joseph die as a martyr? Uh, uh, he didn't say, hey, plural marriage is from God. I will die defending it. <laughs> Instead, he hid it. And again, this is, uh, it, it has caused more than one um, thoughtful LDS person to con um, consider uh, uh, the, how, do, uh, how, can, how can this be from God? And then there's many, many people that I talk with, uh, especially mainstream LDS, mm. that say the, what started their questioning, mm. one of the top points is polygamy. Mm -hmm. It was the polyg early Mormon polygamy. Was there, the, when they first started to question, wait a minute, and then they would investigate Joseph Smith's polygamy. And I wouldn't, uh, see, so you don't even have to argue about whether polygamy is approved by God or not, even if it was. Um, the way he did it. The way, uh, constantly breaking what was supposedly requirements from God, which leads me to question whether, whether any of it was from God. Which he wrote in the Do Doctrine and Covenants 132. He mm -hmm. wrote those requirements himself when right, he wrote right. them down. Mm -hmm. And so he should have stayed under his own. Now, if God changed his mind mm -hmm. on on and an standard of morality, mm -hmm. uh, that would and changed his mode of mm -hmm. method or requirements for our eternal life, could we then justify Joseph Smith's radical changes? Mm -hmm. I mean, if God was a changeable God, then then uh, Joseph being changeable isn't that strange. Um, right, and we, and I, we, I talk about that some in a later chapter of the book, uh, Can God Change, Change His Mind? Mm -hmm. And we see why God, God had set aside certain parts of the Law of Moses as being just for Israel. But on the other hand, with, uh, with the biblical ethic, the two shall become one flesh, uh, 
Jesus actually gets tougher than the law of Moses because he says that God tolerated divorce. It wasn't his, uh, it, it didn't fit his standard. And I would say he would probably say the same thing about polygamy. It was tolerated, but the Bible never explicitly for, uh, ruled it out. But I'm clear, the two shall become one, not the three or the four. And, and it was tolerated. I, I've had people ask me um, if, if polygamy was not God's plan, um, and if, if God, if it was detestable to God, mm. then why did not He punish mm. Abraham and Jacob and so on right. uh, for their polygamy? Uh, but the the whole point here, mm. the bottom line is mm. God's grace. Mm. He tolerates all of our sins, doesn't mm. He? And He gives us time for repentance. He, it's uh, not just polygamy that that He tolerates. He's patient, but He, uh, but He's. Uh, yeah, I, I react to the word tolerate because you know sin that must be forgiven. Yeah, he puts up. He puts up maybe with a lot. Yeah, um, that uh, that's still amazing to me. Okay, well, we have a second part to go uh, with the second half of his book with Tom Hobson. So stay tuned for the next part on uh, discussing his book. And thank you for watching.